everybody, and welcome to Hashtag No Limits. I'm your host, Shelly Kino. Hashtag No Limits is about people that society has placed limits upon that have busted through those limits. And there is no better example to me than the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. Ophelia says in Hamlet that we know who we are, but not who we will become. And if you think about the, the caterpillar, I always marvel at who was the first person to realize that this little crawly, creepy thing turns into this beautiful flying creature. And in our society, we have a hard time sometimes with limits getting placed upon us. But just like the caterpillar turning into the butterfly, when we go through our struggles, it makes us stronger. So some areas where I've seen limitations being placed is on early childhood intervention, and especially in rural or low-income areas. And so that brings me to my guest today, Shalise. Hi, Shalise, and welcome Hi. to how Hi, you Shelley. became director of our local Early Head Start program. Well, I was a teacher. I taught for 22 years. I taught junior high for 19 of those years, and then I needed a change. And as a junior high teacher, I kept thinking, um, with the students that if I could just get to them a little earlier because I taught language arts and they would by the time they got to seventh and eighth grade if they had difficulties with reading it's not that we didn't help them but it was a lot more difficult to help them at that point and I kept thinking if we could just get these kids earlier 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 so the last three years that I taught I switched to first grade and that was a lot of fun everybody goes oh junior high to first grade. <laughs> um, but it was a good change. And I was able to see first graders where they're really, really learning to read and really catching on to things. So that was a lot of fun. But I still found myself thinking, gosh, we still need to catch these kids sooner. Um, and it dawned on me too, that if we could, we used to kind of joke about if we could teach parents how to be teachers that would help us out greatly. Mm -hmm. So this position became available and um, I became the director of First Step Early Head Start. We are part of Community Link, which a lot of people don't know. Um, Community Link is a wonderful nonprofit organization in Breeze, Illinois, who is best known for working with adults with developmental disabilities. We have adult day programs where they come to work and pre-COVID would go on outings and things like that and be immersed in the community. We have an early Head Start program here for children. So we don't do exactly what the adult programs do. We are early Head Start. So that's how I ended up here. And um, early Head Start really focuses on, that's one of the main things that early Head Start does is getting parents we go and teach parents basically how to be the first teachers of their children, since really they are. And a lot of parents don't realize that they really are the first teachers. That child is with them, you know, all the time. So we work with parents to teach them how their children should be developing and what kind of activities they can do and just things to kind of look out for and watch for in the child's development. What do you think, um, first of all, <laughs> speaking of, of knowing who you are and not who you will become, did you ever think when you were teaching junior high that you would become an elementary teacher? Um, 
actually, when I got out of college, my plan was to teach kindergarten. Oh. I wanted to teach little kids. And kind of the way things were at the time, at that time, teachers were in very high demand, or not high demand, there were very few jobs Uh at that time. Um, It was really hard to find a teaching job, which is kind of the opposite now. But I um, was able to speak some Spanish and had an endorsement in Spanish. I had endorsements in language arts and social studies and a few different things, which made me a little bit more marketable. But then that kind of landed me in the junior high realm because those were the jobs that were available. So I I did it, liked it, stuck with it for 19 years. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and then okay. decided I needed a change, and I wanted to try what I thought I would originally teach and go with the younger kids. So now I'm with even younger kids. Yeah. <laughs> so when we say early head start, how old are we talking? We provide services to children birth to age three, and we also provide services to pregnant moms. Because the thought there is that again, get them as early as we can, help the mother with. Um, we track pretty much everything. So doctor's visits, making sure that the mom has a doctor to go to, is getting prenatal care, is taking care of herself. We talk about nutrition and all the things to expect when you're having a baby. So that when that baby arrives, the parents are ready and feel confident in their abilities to be a parent. So we, that's the idea with Head Start. And the way um, early Head Start began is, there was a program called, they ended up calling Head Start that started off as a summer program because back in the 60s, they were finding that kids, once school got out in spring, and then they, you know, had the summer and went back in fall, they were losing some skills. So they started a program that was just a, kind of like a camp almost, where parents could drop their children off and they would work on academic skills with them and um, different things. And they started realizing that, gosh, we need to catch these kids sooner. If we catch them sooner, there's a better chance of them being more successful later on in life. And so then that's where early Head Start came in. And at first, they were, it was just children, but then they realized, again, if we catch pregnant moms and get those kids in our program right away, there's a better chance of them being successful. And when you're saying catch them, you're... You were a gen ed teacher. I was a special education teacher. We're not talking about kids who have a potential for a disability. You're, you service any children at all ability levels, correct? Yes. And that is something that sometimes is misunderstood too, especially with us being part of Community Link. People believe that to be an early Head Start, the child has to have some kind of a mental or physical um, developmental disability, and that is not the case. Although we do have children enrolled that have some kind of disabilities. Okay, and what other requirements? I mean, um, so first of all, you said you were in Clinton County, um, but that's not the only county that you serve, correct? Right, we provide services to Clinton County and Washington County, or two counties, um, to pregnant moms, children birth to three years old, And to be eligible for our program, families have to, part of it is income-based. So if they fall below the federal poverty guidelines, 
then they are considered income eligible. And that's based on, there's a, a chart that the federal government puts out every year that tells um, how many people in the family, what the cutoff is for the um, income each, each year, <clears throat> excuse me. And if they fall at or below that, then they are automatically qualified for our program. Also, if they receive um, public assistance such as TANF or SSI, they can be eligible for our program. If they are considered uh, quote unquote homeless, which would mean they are in a temporary living situation, and that's according to the McKinney-Vento Act. So that would, an example would be maybe a um, young mom who moved out of her home, ended up having a baby, can't pay bills, just can't make it really on her own with the baby, and she moves back home with her parents. Since she left the home and then went back, she is considered homeless because it's not her own home. Okay. So the McKinney-Vento Act has several different um, scenarios like that. If someone is, if a family is living with another family because they cannot afford to have their own place to sleep every night. Um, if someone's living in a homeless shelter or in a camper or a car, anything like that, that would be considered a risk factor, put the child at risk for not being able to develop the way they, they could without those risk factors. Um, so I'm um, trying to think, um, oh, I left out one. The other one is children in foster care or kinship care. So if um, DCFS has been involved and the child is removed from their home because um, we see mostly um, it could be abuse or it could be a lot of times what we have been dealing with more so lately is drug and substance abuse. So there's a case against the parents. Parents are found um, to be involved in something they shouldn't be, which puts the child at risk. Um, DCFS might remove those children from the home and put them in foster care. They are automatically eligible for our program because those that are most at risk in the community are the ones that are automatically eligible. So that would okay. be temporary living situations, foster care, kinship care. Kinship care is where maybe children have been removed, but they're living with grandma or grandpa or aunts or uncles or something like that. So it's still considered a kind of a foster care situation, even though they might not be in the foster care system. Gotcha. That's All a good kinship. clarification. Yeah. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. So I know uh, because this is an organization that I am involved with also. So, um, and you also, you don't just help families who are English speaking um, in the area where you are, there are a, a small uh, population of Spanish speaking people. So um, what, are there different needs for that community than um, other communities that you're able to address that maybe somebody else, some other organization might not be able to? We do have a small population of Spanish speakers in our um, program and in our communities here. It's a, a pretty small um, population. We do, we used to have a bilingual educator. We do not any longer. So we use different resources to try to provide service, services to those families. 
Uh, many of the, the families, the Spanish speaking families are familiar with our program because they know they might have a friend who was in the program previously. Um, we've recently been using an on-demand translating company called Boostlingo, who we call um, and we just, right now we're providing services remotely because of COVID. So we call the translation service and they sit in on the, the call or the video chat and help us with um, translations. I do speak some Spanish. So when families are able to come into our office building, which right now they are not because of COVID, then I'm able to you know, speak with the families and help them out. Um, and the reason they might come into the building is we have a family store here. And those are, what we do is we collect items and they have to be um, donated items or purchased with money that was donated to the program because we're a federally funded program. And we are not allowed to spend federal funds on those items that we just give away to families. In our program, parents can earn parent bucks. We recently changed it to family bucks because we do have a lot of um, foster families and things like that. So we made it more inclusive to call it family bucks because that's what we're dealing with as families. So they can earn family bucks by participating in playgroups, um, keeping their um, visits, um, just doing any of the activities that we ask them to do, working with their child, providing um, help with different things. So surveys, all kinds of different things that we do, they can earn some family bucks and then they can spend those family bucks in the family store. So when pre-COVID, families would come in and shop at the family store. We're still providing items to the families. We're just doing it remotely. So we're taking pictures and we have a private Facebook page that we post those pictures on and then they can tell us what they want. And we are doing porch deliveries and dropping items off. And the, the things that we go through very quickly, diapers, because diapers are expensive. Right. So it's a nice item that parents can use those family bucks on um, and it helps them out financially. So diapers, especially the larger sizes, five and six, we go through like crazy laundry detergent, toilet paper, paper towels, those kind of things that most of us don't, we kind of take for granted. We just go to the store and pick them up. Right. Um, most of our families, 90% of our families are low income families. So they don't always have the financial ability to just go pick up a $25 pack of diapers. Right. Um, a lot of our families have to decide between do I buy food for my family or do I buy toilet paper or paper towels? And they're going to opt for food. <laughs> you know, they're right. Of course. For yeah. So the family store helps them out, makes it eases some of their financial burdens. So, um, so you're always able to, even now, accept donations for the family store? Yes. And if somebody is in our area and they wanted to make a donation, how would they go about doing that right now during COVID? They would, they could just drop it off at our office. Someone is here from 8 to 4.15, Monday through Thursday, and 8 to 3 on Fridays. It's Helpful if they let, would let us know ahead of time, maybe call or shoot me an email and I'll provide all of our contact information. Um, but we've had 
We have some people that are regular donors because what they have decided to do and they do with their family is they will, when they do their regular grocery shopping, they'll pick up an extra pack of toilet paper or oh, they'll nice. pick up an extra, you know, thing of laundry detergent. And then after a month or two, they'll bring those items and drop them off. So it's just you know, a way for them to be able to donate to something very helpful in the community and they kind of spread it out so they're not spending a lot of money all at one time, but just grabbing right. an extra item here or there. So that's, that's a great, that's a very great way. Yeah, that's a great way to do it. Um, you, I'm going to share, you had shared with me one of um, the flyers from the program. Let me make sure that I'm getting the right thing here. So um, I think you've, you've kind of already talked about most of these things, but let's just go down the list and make sure that okay. we have talked about all of this stuff. Um, so we didn't really talk about the fact that it is no cost to the families. Right. And it's no cost because it is a federally funded program. We operate on a grant, a federal grant. We are currently in the second year of a five-year grant cycle. So the grants well, last five years. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are some things that we can't buy with federal money. Like I mentioned, the items for the parents store. There are a lot of rules and regulations with how the money is spent. Another thing that we often that we cannot spend federal money on. Um, well, there are a lot of things, but books that are not used for, um, unless they are used for part of the curriculum, if they're used for an activity or something like that, then we can give those books to the families. So we do sometimes ask, we might ask for some new books for um, to put into the, the family store. That's another item that we sometimes get or ask for. When I mentioned before, since COVID um, happened and everything got shut down back in March, we've been providing services remotely. We typically are a home-based only program. So that means we have educators who go into people's homes and work with them in their own natural environment. So this time of COVID has been a little difficult for us because we really like to be in those homes working with the families where they're most comfortable. Right. The kids are most comfortable at home. The parents are most comfortable at home. A phone call or a video makes our job a little bit more difficult, especially when we're trying to look for child development and really track and follow how that child is developing. Um, so it, it's been a challenge, but we're, we're making it work. Before COVID, we provided in-home visits once a week for an hour and a half. Hopefully we get back to that once, you know, things kind of play out with this virus, mm -hmm. but we do still provide those visits. They're just remotely. So it's either a phone call or a video um, chat, depending on what the family is more comfortable with. Some of the families don't like to do the video calls. We ask that they try to do them at least once a month because we do like to um, do assessments on the kids. And it's much easier to do those assessments when you can see the child actually doing whatever it is you were asking about. Um, some families don't feel real comfortable with that. Um, so they've just been doing a lot of calls. Um, hopefully we also get back to being able to do play groups. That's another thing that we do. Typically we do them twice a month. 
One playgroup is in Clinton County, one is in Washington County. And our playgroups provide an opportunity for kids. They're technically, they're called socializations. And that's because we want the children and the parents to come and work on their socialization skills. It gives parents a chance to get out of the home, talk to some other parents, get to know some people, maybe make some friends. And there are all kinds of developmental activities for the children. So it might be um, you know, math, language, um, gross motor, fine motor. We kind of cover all the domains at a play group. We are getting ready to do our first virtual play groups. Uh, we're gonna start those in January. So we're a little nervous about that because <laughs> we're not sure how it's gonna go, but right. we figure, we, you know, we won't know if we don't try. So those are gonna start in January. So sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you for a second. Okay. In the past, when there have been play groups, um, Early Head Start has provided the materials. Is that correct? Yes, we provide everything. We even provide transportation if the families um, don't have a vehicle to get to the location where we're having the playgroup. We do pick them up, take them to take them to the playgroup, and then take them back home. Um, we provide a snack because most of our playgroups are during the day. We do have some periodically at night to accommodate those who work during the day and still want to be able to attend those playgroups at night. We do so. We do provide a snack at the playgroup. Um, they're a lot of fun. It's a good opportunity for, like I said, parents to come meet one another, um, kids to just be social and do some fun activities so that they can play and learn at the same time. Like I said, we're going to be doing some virtual ones. We're going to actually do those. Those are going to be a little bit shorter because normally our playgroups are two hours long. Two mm -hmm. hours is a long time to be on a, a video. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So we're doing the plan right now is to do one every week for 15 to 20 minutes, just make them short little activities. And the plan is to have families RSVP beforehand. So we know who needs materials for whichever activities we're going to be working on. And then the activities will be dropped off. The different materials and things they need will be dropped off at their home before the day of the playgroup. Okay. So that'll be a new experience for us. Right now, yeah. also, um, and I, I always got this wrong, um, so hopefully I have it right. So oftentimes there is a waiting list to be part of First Step Early Head Start, but the people that are on the waiting list can also participate in things like the play groups as well, correct? Yes, that is correct. We do often have a, a wait list because we are only enrolled for 40 or 45 backwards, 54 um, kids in the program, kids and or pregnant moms. So if we are completely full, then we put people on a wait list and that's the wait list is based on, we have a prioritization criteria sheet that we use. Um, so basically the more, I don't know what word I'm looking for, the more, things that put a family at risk or at a higher risk, that they get more points for those things. And then the wait list is comprised of, it, it's put in order based on those points. And whenever we have a slot open, so if someone <clears throat> turns three and they're gonna move on to Head Start or to 
preschool, they would leave our program and then we'd have a slot available. We have 30 days to fill that slot. So we would pull the first person off of our wait list. Okay. And that's it's always from the top. And whoever's at the top gets to come in and join us first. But yes, if they are on the wait list, then they can also attend play groups. If they are in um, our one of our other programs, we have a prevention program. Uh, it's not prevention initiative that some people are familiar with that is um, funded by the state. It's just a, a program that Community Link started years ago that kind of catches the kids who might leave us in early Head Start but then can't get into a preschool or anything like that. And that way they are still getting some services um, and not being kind of left until they start kindergarten. Okay. Um, and something else I wanted to clarify when we were talking about, you know, that this is um, 90% of the members um, that qualify for this are under the federal poverty guidelines. So are there 10% of participants who are above that guideline? Yes, we are allowed to enroll 10% of our funded enrollment can be over income. So that sounds like when people think over income, they think, oh, well, they have a lot of money and do they really need this program? But if you, I should have posted the uh, federal poverty guidelines, but I know an example is a family of four, the federal poverty guidelines is somewhere around $24,600. So a family of four who has an income of $24,600 or less is income eligible. If they make a dollar more, so it could be $24,601, then they're considered over income. And we have had some families who might be $100 over or $800 over. Um, so it's a way for us to still be able to enroll those families that might need the support and assistance and you know get them in the program. But we do have a limit on how many we can enroll. Right. So I'm, I'm glad you really were specific with that because I, th I think it's like you said, many people think, oh, over income, you know, if the guideline is 24,600 for four people, then these people, you know, maybe you're making 60,000 or 70,000 a year. But when you really think about it, that it could just literally be $1 over and then they have to drop down to only be part of your 10% out of 100% of your participants, um, I think that changes the mindset a little bit. Yes, it definitely changes the perspective of when you say over income. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, so going back, so we, we were talking about playgroups and that was where I interrupted you. Um, so, Anything left about playgroups that you wanted to talk about or then go ahead and talk a little bit more about some of the parenting trainings? Right, we do parent trainings. We typically do them four times a year and those are in the evening, the in-person ones. We haven't done those since COVID, of course. We, have, we do some online parent trainings that are through our private Facebook page. And we use Google Docs for that. So that usually consists of like a five, three to five question pre-test and then there's a video or something to watch on the topic and then they take a post-test and they parents can earn family bucks for that. Um, so we do those online. 
the, when we do them in person, um, some of the recent ones or the ones we did before COVID, we did potty training 101, we did budgeting 101 to help families figure out how to create a budget, you know, for their family, something that works for them. We've done things on cooking, you know, how to cook healthy foods, but still do it at a reasonable cost. We've done self-care, just a whole range of things. And we do, we focus on what the parents want. So the parents will tell us, like they really wanted a budgeting class. They wanted a potty training class because we had at that time, a, probably 60% of our kids were two to three years old at that time. Okay. So they were all in that potty training stage and parents were, a lot of them were having a very difficult time and they need just needed some ideas to help them out a little bit. So we really tailor it to what the parents want and what they need. And then as far as the other things that are listed on the flyer, I talked a little bit about bilingual services, mm -hmm. um, assistance with disabilities. We, we talked a little bit about that, that we do have children in the program who have some kind of disability. It's not a requirement for the program though. Um, we do work closely with the CFC, Child and Family Connections, who is the early intervention um, organization, I guess, agency. That's where, like if a child needs physical therapy, speech therapy, developmental therapy, um, psych therapy, anything like that, it goes through the CFC. So we refer to them, they refer to us, we work very closely with them. Community resources, Head Start and Early Head Start are all about providing resources for the family. So it's not only school readiness, working with parents to help the parents be, or you know, learn and know how to be the child's first teacher, but it's also providing community resources. So we have families with, you know, various things that are going on in their lives. We recently had someone who uh, the dad had lost his job due to COVID. And so they were really struggling with money. They were falling behind on rent. You know, it was stressful enough with everything that's going on, but then not being able to pay your bills and worrying about food. So we um, refer our families a lot, you know, to a lot of the local food pantries. We will help them find another organization that can help them. In this case, there was a, a local church that was able to, had some funds set aside to help families either with power bills or rent or things like that. So they were able to help them get caught up on the rent so that they could just ease some of their stress and their financial burden. So it was very helpful to the families. Um, there's a church who has a food pickup. I believe they're doing one this Thursday in one of the local, used to be a, a grocery store there in the parking lot. Okay. And they, um, we make sure our families always know about that. And, um, but, you know, just taking care of the whole family. So even though we're an early Head Start program, the focus isn't just on the pregnant mom or the child who is zero to three. It's really comprehensive services giving the family what they need and really supporting them with everything. So we get to know our families very well. Our educators get very close to the families because they do know so much about them and they 
like kind of walk through life with them. You know, whatever is happening in the family's life, the educator is experiencing it too because they're there with them and helping support and provide resources to them. Right. And these family educators, um, how many families are assigned to one family educator? Uh, we have five family educators. And according to the Head Start standards, no educator can have more than 12 families. We try to keep it around 10 at the, mo at the most. Sometimes we do have to go up to 12 depending on the right. So they, yeah, oh, I don't, hopefully everybody can still hear. Um, I said I lost, I don't know if it was me or, <laughs> um, so, so you're, yeah, I can de definitely see where they would get to know their families very well, because when you're working with um, a one-on-one -on -one family, and it's just like us as teachers, you know, even though we would have maybe double or maybe triple that amount of families that we were working with, you still got to know them and um, still spend time with them. So um, the reason that I closed out the flyer and pulled up the website is because you were talking about the resources. And I know, and you're gonna have to help me find it, but I know somewhere on this website, this is the Community Link website. Um, I have the, the children's program section pulled up, but there is a huge compilation of resources that um, many members have spent years putting together. And it's absolutely amazing. So if you can um, hopefully walk me through. Yes, it should be if you scroll all the way down, it's actually in the bottom right hand corner. Ah, there we so go. There it is at the brown font. There's the early head, the 2020-2021 early head start um, community resource directory. And it's a list of pretty much anything you can think of, doctors, um, different other educational you know, organizations or libraries, legal help, um, dentists. You can see the whole list there, hospitals, counseling, child and family connections, a whole, I mean, pages and pages and pages of the different businesses, organizations, agencies. And then I believe there's a little blurb about each one. So mm -hmm. um, that's our BC, BCMW is the head, they have the Head Start. So when kids leave us and move on to Head Start, it's through BCMW. But you can see they do several different things there as well. And it tells you a little bit, gives you all of the um, phone numbers, emails, sometimes fax numbers, any of the information that particular agency provided us with is in our resource directory. Tells which counties they cover, um, just all kinds of different things. So it's a very good resource and not only for people that are in our program, but anybody out there who's watching that might need help with something or think, gosh, I wonder where I would, you know, find a church or where I would find you know, certain things they can go to Community Link's website and look at our resource directory. It's there for anybody to use. And the way you get to the website is our web address is www.comlink.org. 
And then to find the resource directory, you click on programs and go to children's. And it's all the way down at the bottom in the right hand corner. Yeah, this this is such an amazing directory to have all that it has in it. And um, I noticed on some of the pages that it's also certain things are available in Spanish, not just in English. So you can find resources no matter if you speak Spanish or you're um, speak English. And just the fact that, and I'm going to see, um, I don't know if you can see it on the screen if it pops up, but this is 187 pages long. So while that seems like it could be daunting, um, that just speaks to the types of services that are available out there. And to have them all in one resource like this um, is just absolutely amazing. I have spoken to so many families over the years that have a child with special needs, because again, I was a former special education teacher, and they often have no idea where to look. And so to have this kind of resource available is just amazing to me. Um, and I apologize because I often forget to tell them that it's here. And I've known about this now for a couple of years. Um, so hopefully this will help get that word out that that is available to people and um, we, people can start to use it. So I want to go back, um, make sure that I'm getting, okay. So yeah, I just, um, as you talked about, so you would go to the communitylink.org and then um, go to programs to children's programs. And I'm just showing them what you just said um, so that in case they missed it, it's, and then it's right down. All I did was scroll down and it's on the lower right-hand side. Um, and I see we've got the handbook here, both available in English and Spanish for early Head Start families. Um, what else can they find on the website that we didn't discuss already? Anything? It shows the different programs. So you can see up there, it says Early Head Start, there's Prevention. Children's Waiver is another program that we have. And that is actually another, just two very small programs. I kind of explained the prevention program already. Children's Waiver is actually through the state. So children that are pulled off what's called the puns list. Mm. These would be um, children up to 21 years old, three to 21 years old. And they can, it's basically, they have some kind of disability that parents do not want to put them in some kind of institution, but there's really, for lack of a better way of explaining it, there's really nowhere else for them to go. Right. So children's waiver is state funded and families can get different funding for their families to help with uh, having a like a, ser a service worker that helps them with their child. Um, and it, it's, it could range from, it could be a child, child with Down syndrome, it could be a child that has a physical disability that is, um, must be in a wheelchair all the time, Oftentimes, it might be a, a child that is nonverbal, 
and in a wheelchair, it, just different scenarios. We have a, one of our educators is the disabilities coordinator for children's waiver. So she works with the families to make sure that the children's goals, um, she updates the children's goals every year and works with the families on making sure they're meeting those goals. Awesome. And there was um, an additional services, I think, I just want to, so, yes. um, yeah. So we, one of the things in our two counties that we cover, Clinton County and Washington County, an area that is lacking, greatly lacking is dental care for birth to three children and pregnant moms and families that are low income that are on, um, call it the medical card, but it's Medicaid. Um, a lot of providers will not accept it because the state does not reimburse at a high enough rate that works for their business. So we struggle often with getting our families dental services. And that's one of the things that we track. Since we are a comprehensive program, we track immunizations, dental services, um, well baby checks, prenatal appointments, everything, um, hearing and vision screening, it's comprehensive. So we hold a dental clinic twice a year, once in February, once in August. And we have a company called Dental Safari come and they come in a big RV. They're a traveling, it's a traveling dentist. So he comes with his hygienists and we pick a location and we work out of that location and they provide dental services to the family. Um, on the website, there is some information there. We're supposed to have one in February. We're supposed Sorry. to have one in February. <laughs> We're not sure what's going to happen with it because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so the, it's going to have to play that one by ear. Our, the one that we usually hold in August is our biggest one. Um, we typically, Dental Safari might see up, upwards of 100 kids that day. And that one's usually the biggest because, or the most, where we have the most people show up is because they can use that dental screening as their school requirement. So if they're in a grade that the school requires them to have a dental checkup, they can use the dental safari um, checkup for that. We also, during that August one, have a health fair. So we invite other agencies and organizations to come and kind of set up camp and have a table and um, provide information to our families. The last one we had, we were not able to have one this past August because of COVID, but the previous one was a great turnout. I think we had 25 different agencies or organizations there. We provided um, 122 dental exams. And then we have the Lions Club come and they do vision screenings and they can do them for on the kids or on adults, anybody who wants it done. I think they did 95 that summer. And so we're able to catch, um, we were, I think, just the kids that were enrolled in our program, I think there were three that they caught um, something with their vision that needed correcting. So it was very helpful. And in we both, all, oh, I'm sorry. And in both oh, of ahead. those, the, in the dental clinic and the health fair, um, you said earlier that our numbers for who can be in the program is 54, but that we saw over close to um, 100 in 
both of these. So this is open to the, to the public, correct? It is open to the public. Um, siblings of children that are enrolled also come. So that's where some of those numbers come from. Um, they might have an older sibling. Dental Safari will see people up to 18 years of age. Um, when we do have those dental clinics, like we mentioned, it is open to the public, but they do have to have an appointment and register with Dental Safari before the day. It, they don't do any walk-ins, so you can't just show up that day and um, do, an, do a dental exam. Right. And how do people find out about it if they're not part of the program? We typically put it on our our. Uh, we have a public Facebook page also. Community Link puts it on our the main agency page. We send out flyers, um, just those kind of things. I'm going to look up really quickly the um, Facebook page, and I'm going to display that. So, and then yes, these things were at no cost to the the public, and the um, the one that that I was able to participate in, um, the one not in August of 2019, um, I think you did something that year that hadn't been done before. And that was, um, you had a couple of ladies that came in who had a local um, salon and they provided free haircuts. Yes, um, we had um, two ladies who volunteered to come in um, one is the owner of the salon, the other one works there, and they came in and provided some free back-to-school haircuts for kids that were enrolled in our program. That was very appreciated and very nice of them. Um, we try, I know years ago before I was in this position, um, they would often have the Kaskaskia College cosmetology students come and do that. Um, some things have changed there, though. I don't know the details on that, so they're not always able to to do that and to help out with that. Oh, okay. But that had been done previously, like many years ago. Uh, we also did, I forgot to mention, we did fingerprinting and did little ID kits for the families. So we fingerprinted anybody who wanted to be fingerprinted and gave them the card with, we weighed and measured the kids and had all of that identifiable information so that families could have that. And then um, we did not do the DNA but we did provide, there was a little sticky um, like Ziploc bag with the kit so they can take a snip of the child's hair and put it in there. So if ever in the case the child went missing, they would have that information about the child. Perfect. Um, I'm st I know, I, I follow the page. I'm having a hard time pulling it. There we go, okay. <laughs> Like, I know I should be able to pull that up really easily. And it's going to, it has us on it right now. So um, that's a little strange, but <laughs> let me, um, get that screen shared so that we can see that. Um, and then if you want to continue to talk about um, the, the infant massage and um, I forget what else was on the, so this is um, just the Facebook page. It's called First and Step. Early Head Start and Children's Learning Program. So this is our local one here that that Shalise is the director for. Um, there might be others in your area, but if you're in the Clinton and Washington County area, this is the Facebook page that you would want to find. Yes. And 
I saw when you first got on there, there was a, a post from the Red Porch, which is a cafe, a little restaurant that Community Link owns and operates. And they are doing something really cool for us right now. Um, and that's what that little, that post is about, is they're collecting items for our parent store, our family store for us. Nice. Um, usually at this time, we have a lot of schools that help out with collecting things. With, again, the situation with COVID that's going on, that's making things a little more difficult because we're trying to limit the number of people and things that are going in and out of schools. And um, so the Red Porch is helping us out and they have a collection site at the Red Porch in New Baden where they're collecting these items for us that we will put into the family store so that families enrolled in our program can use their family bucks and get some of those items. That's wonderful. And there's just a couple more. Um, so we talked to um, happiest baby and happiest toddler. I wanted to, oh, and the, and you also, one of the things that the um, early Head Start provides for their members is the car seat safety and making sure that those are properly installed. Yes. Um, so as far as I know you'd mentioned the infant massage too. We do have a couple certified infant massage therapists who don't do what it is, is they don't do massage on infants, but they teach parents how to do massage on infants. And actually it can be up to like a year and a half, as long as the child will be still long enough to right. <laughs> do some of the um, things they do. Um, but it's supposed to be very calming for the baby. I know babies that have had colic and um, just different trouble sleeping, just different things. People have used the infant massage on them and it's helped a lot. Digestion problems, things like that. So we do have some staff members who are certified in that. Again, pre-COVID and not sure what it's gonna be like going forward, but we do have staff that is certified to teach the happiest baby on the block and happiest toddler on the block. And those are two separate classes because they're kind of for two different age groups. But those are through St. Joseph's Hospital here in Breeze, and those can be registered for on St. Joseph's website, where they you register for all the other classes. So I know there are things like Lamaze classes and things like that on there. We are also on there. Those have not been done lately because of COVID, not doing things in person. Right. Um, hopefully that'll get changed sometime, and we'll be able to do those again. Yeah. But those are very helpful for parents either. Um, new parents or parents who are just interested in finding out a little bit more. It talks a lot about discipline and, um, you know, appropriate things and ways to um, kind of get the behaviors that you want from your child without punishing. Right. So it's a very helpful program for parents. As far as car seat installation, um, our certified technologist or technician actually resigned. So she's not here anymore, but oh, we're, that's um, right, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping that um, we can get somebody else trained to do that. Um, but we do make sure our parents, our families know that when the hospital does those, they'll do car seat, car seat checks, or sometimes um, I know the like state police do it. Sometimes the Clinton County Sheriff's Office has, have done, has done those before. We make sure our families know that and we encourage them to go get their car seats checked because we find that most people do not have them installed correctly. And 
don't realize how dangerous it is to not have them installed correctly. Yeah, I remember, I mean, my daughter just turned 21, so this was a long time ago, but I remember how, how tight that had to fit in there. And, you know, just the, it, it, it was almost impossible, it seemed like, to be able to get it as tight as it needed to be. But it was definitely an important thing that, that needed to be done correctly um, for the safety we, of. At our staff, we all did an in-house training with our, the person who was the certified technician. So we do know how to do it. It's just none of us are certified. Right. right. Um, but we did it. We have some agency vehicles here that we use and we have all our own car seats and booster seats. She tested us on each one. We had to install a front facing, a rear facing and a booster seat. And I'll tell you what, we were drenched in sweat by the time we got done because it's quite a, quite a production. To yeah. <laughs> the way they're supposed to be in there. And if you have right. a smaller car, that's even more difficult. So it was yeah. very interesting, but it's also very important. So we always make sure that if we know those kinds of um, seat checks are coming up, we let our families know. That's wonderful. So Shalise, we're just about out of time. Um, so let's go over, are there some things, either um, individual items for the family store, or I know that when we have our meetings, uh, staffing needs come up. <laughs> so are there any things that you need, um, or that I shouldn't say you, but early head start needs that maybe a listener could um, help out with? Well, as we mentioned earlier, we can always use items for our family store because we can't purchase those items with our federal funds. So things like diapers, wipes, laundry detergent, dish soap, toilet paper, paper towels, garbage bags, like I said, a lot of those things that most of us take for granted, you know, I, I need trash bags, I go buy trash bags. But if you purchase trash bags, they're quite expensive. They're upwards of eight, nine, ten dollars for garbage bags. So those are the items that our families really, really look for in our family store so that they can use those bucks that they they've earned on those things. We right now have some families that we are kind of adopting out for Christmas. We try to help our families out at Christmas and get donors who will um, either adopt the entire family or adopt a member of the family or something like that so that we can kind of help them out with Christmas gifts and things um, during the holidays. We, um, right now, I'm actually in need of another family educator. So we haven't had policy council meeting yet but we had someone <laughs> resign last week so um, we're gonna we have a spot available in order to be a family educator we need a minimum of at least an, an associates in early childhood or something that has those same um, classes or you know mm -hmm. um, types of certification it could be a bachelor's and anything, but it has to be at least an associate's. Um, we really need someone who could fill that and also be, who is also bilingual. <laughs> so that's a dream of mine to have someone that can fill both. We can, can't find someone who's bilingual with the credentials to fill the educator part, then we could hire someone as an interpreter as well. So those are the our main things that we are needing right now currently 
Okay. Well, if anyone listening on the replay is eligible for those things and you live in or around the Clinton, Washington County, Illinois areas, um, Shalise will put her the contact information of how to find out more details about either of those services. And yeah, the comlink, C-O-M-M-L-I-N-K.org is the website for the community link. And then just go to children's programs and that will take you to Early Head Start. Um, I thank you, Shalise, for joining yeah, me today. I, I hope that we have shared some miscommunications and cleared those up and that we have um, let people know that there are services, even in rural areas, for families that are low income, um, do not have to have any sort of other um, need, but that they are out there um, teaching and getting children ready for that school system as early as possible, helping those pregnant moms. Um, if you are watching and you have liked this video, I, I ask you to give it a thumbs up, make a comment, share it. Um, especially if you're in those two counties, we, we're really trying to get the word out um, to the families in these areas. Join me Friday at one o'clock for Friday with Fran, except it's with Greg this week because Fran is on a missions trip. And so our friend Greg is going to join me instead. Um, and then next week, Tuesday for hashtag no limits, I will be joined by a former student of mine, a student that I'd had during my student teaching. Um, so I'm really interested to talk with her and find out the kinds of things that she has done the last 20 years since <laughs> I had her in my student teaching class. Um, so thank you all and have a great day, everybody. And again, Shalise, thank you for joining me. Yes, thank you. Bye, Shelly. Bye-bye.